0: Welcome back to The Shorter, a podcast on The Shorter Catechism, where two pastors take 20-something minutes to confess their way through the 107 questions of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I'm your host, Tommy Park, and I'm joined by my co-host, Stephen Spinnenweber.
1: Howdy. Well, today is the day that you've all been waiting for. It is November 3rd, 2020, the day of our interview with Randy Greenwald of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Oviedo, Florida. So, uh, Randy, you you've been on the podcast before. You are a glutton per punishment and you are back again.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I could go many directions with that. It's uh it's a joy though. I mean, um, because especially the you know what we get to talk about, and that really is a, a joy to me. But yeah, it is like taking an oral final exam of some kind. So there is that aspect to it.
1: Well, you passed with flying colors last time, and uh, you also, you know, before we started recording, you were also giddy because a particular sports team had a victory over another sports team. Do you? Do yeah, you wanna... I've,
2: I've used the pandemic to try to wean myself from paying attention to sports, and then Michigan State goes and solidly beats the University of Michigan, and it's breaking all those uh, those vows that I've made to to swear off of these things. So. We're probably going
1: to lose a few listeners in the state of Michigan after <laughs> this, you know, uh, approval but uh, of <laughs> Michigan State, but so be it. Um, and I well, mean, we re-
2: wouldn't want to point out that they have beaten Michigan nine out of the past 13 years. We probably wouldn't want to point that out either. We wouldn't want to say that. No.
1: But – We're glad you're here, Um, and we are uh, very happy to have you back on the podcast. So uh, we've got a few more get-to-know-you questions. If people maybe missed that last episode, uh, Tommy's going to just kind of dive in and uh, acquaint the people with you.
0: Okay, thanks. Yeah, Randy, thanks for being here. Again, just a couple of reminders. Randy is the pastor at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Oviedo. Uh, He just recently released a book, uh, Something Worth Living For, On the Shorter Catechism. Uh, We'll put in our show notes, that's the interview that we previously did with Randy about his book. And so we would strongly encourage you to go back and listen to that and strongly encourage you to buy a a copy for Christmas, one for you and one for a neighbor. So, Randy, uh, since we did have that interview, you know, we can keep these get to know your questions a little briefer. Hopefully people will go back and listen to the the ones we did about a month ago. But, you know, briefly introduce us um, of yourself, uh,
2: where you're from,
0: and a little bit of your spiritual history.
2: Yeah, I grew up outside Cincinnati, Ohio, and um, um, was raised in a Methodist church with faithful parents. Um, Came to faith sincerely, I think, when I was a teenager, and uh, then been pursuing pursuing that faith ever since, went to Michigan State, um, apparently, uh, that is probably clear by now, Um, and uh, taught for a few years, then went to Covenant Seminary, pastored in Bradenton, Florida, on Florida's Gulf Coast for 25 years, and then been here in Oviedo, Florida, outside Orlando for the past 10 years. So I've been been a pastor for 35 years, but I really don't feel that old.
0: You don't act that old either, so we appreciate that. He
1: has style sense that is really unparalleled. (laughs) by yeah, any no. pastor <laughs> yeah <laughs> go onto the website just go on covenant covenant's website and uh on there you will find on the staff page that randy can rock some birkenstocks and Birkin socks. <laughs> Birken so, socks and socks is there a story behind that
2: yeah actually i just you know about 30 years ago i saw a pastor wearing sandals he was a scottish pastor and uh he looked so comfortable i saw some a pair in a shoe store i bought them and have been wearing sandals exclusively ever since my feet don't like to be crammed inside uh, regular dress shoes occasionally there are weddings and uh, but often now i'll ask the bride you know should i wear you know closed-toed shoes or sandals and the sandals have become so much a part of who i am they generally say oh no wear the sandals to my wife's chagrin but the white, you know, the bride is the one who's ruling the sh- ruling the show there.
1: Exclusive psalmody and exclusive <laughs> sandals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Wonderful.
0: Yeah. Well, Randy, uh, since this is a, a podcast not on footwear but on the shorter catechism, <laughs> um, when were you first introduced to the shorter catechism?
2: Yeah, my my guess there is probably through J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, he references at least the fourth question of what is God. Um, but again, I can't really recall then when I actually sat down to read the whole thing and take it all in. And then instead of asking, because we're going to talk about
0: your favorite, that's why you're here yeah. today, question 38. So what, instead of that question, because uh, you're going to talk about it, for a little bit here, what advice would you give to our listeners about uh, engaging the Shorter Catechism, uh, either for the first time or maybe if it's a uh, w- wiser, older yeah. saint kind of re-getting into it?
2: You know, I, I was thinking about that this morning. I was listening to another podcast. Um, I was just talking about how our delight often comes through surprise, and our, you know, God surprises us. And I think, you know, even a, even the older saint, the one who thinks he already has theology tucked under his belt, to come back to the catechism and read it, reflect on it, think about it, you know, God can simply surprise us with certain phraseology, certain um, remembrances of the gospel. Um, certain encouragements. I mean, I I think, just reading it slowly, um, and, and pondering its language can bring surprise and surprise leads to delight. Um, my, my son was pointing out the other day that going through something like this, um, is, is fruitful for the one who's been a Christian a while because sometimes what life, um, controversy, um, you know, um, situations, cause us to focus in on certain aspects of our theology. So, you know, maybe we're, we're struggling over just, you know, what government should look like, this being election day. And so we find ourselves being consumed by looking at, at the law or what Scripture has to say about government. Uh, or, or maybe there's a controversy regarding justification, and so we become experts on justification. But sometimes we need to just kind of look at the whole landscape landscape and uh, something like the catechism can give us that overview of the entire landscape and remind us of those glorious portions which i think sometimes these questions 37 and 38 uh, fall into that category we overlook we get so consumed with the controversies of the day or the interests of our own heart that we forget that the, the the god's story is much bigger than those individual details so those are some thoughts
0: yeah no thank
2: you uh, as you just mentioned, today
0: we're talking about questions thirty-eight and 37, 38. Uh, Randy, just to let you know, you are the will be the last episode of our first season. Mm-hmm. So
1: We're going on on a high note.
0: <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, so I'm going to read the questions 37, 38. Uh, so to get us. Uh, so question 37, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? The souls of believers at their death, made perfect in holiness, and do immediately pass into glory, and their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves till the resurrection. Question 38. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? At the resurrection, believers, being raised up in glory, shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. So Randy last episode we uh, about a month ago we had this bonus episode of your about your book on the shorter catechism and in there you mentioned like i just did that you mentioned that question 38 is your favorite shorter catechism question to answer. Can you remind us of your answer and maybe expound on it a little bit?
2: Well, I can't remind you of my answer because I can never remember what I have said a week ago, you know, five minutes ago, much less a week ago. But uh, or whenever we did that interview. But you know, this question has always resonated with me, partly because of the logic of it, um, just the the logical connection with the first question: man's chief end to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And if that's our chief and if that's the purpose for which God has created us, this question is the, the 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 surety that that's what He intends to do with us. That the souls of believers are made perfectly blessed. Um, I mean, believers, not just the souls, but body and soul, are made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. Um, and so, there's that, that logic of it. There. But, you know, I, I also have thought about it in terms of the, you know, Jesus endured the cross because of the joy set before him. We read in Hebrews 12, um, Jesus was able to look on the other side of the cross and see his exaltation and fix his eyes on that. And, I you know, I think the same thing holds true for us. Um, you know, there's going to be a you know a lot of tribulation. Jesus says we're going to suffer. There's going to be struggle. The Christian life's not an easy thing. We'll do battle with sin. We'll do you know battle with those who oppose us. But we can fix our eyes on the end. We know our destination. It is being made perfectly blessed and the full enjoying of God to all eternity. Uh, there is a rest, in other words, that yet awaits the people of God. Uh, and that you know, to me, this gives flesh to that rest. It is a, a just an overabundance of a fullness and joy in the presence of God for all eternity, which I think fixing our eyes on that enables us to put everything else that we struggle with in perspective. There will come a time when those things can be laid down and we don't struggle anymore, um, and we find our rest in God's presence. so. The promise of it, the hope of it, the richness of it, that's why it stands out to me.
1: And with questions 37 and 38, we have blessings um, both at our death and when Christ comes back. Sometimes when Christians talk about dying and their souls going into heaven, they act like that's the end of the story. But what 37 and 38 together do is that there's good news, there's a prelude of good news, and then there's the the, the full song of, of God's good news. So for question 37, we're kind of talking about the prelude, the right. benefits that we receive at death. And the catechism tells us, Randy, that it's one of the you know, benefits is that the souls of believers immediately pass into glory. And when they pass into glory, what do we believe is going on there? Um, there are some, you know, Christians, or there's some people who profess that we go into soul sleep, Or maybe we go into purgatory, right? What happens to the souls of believers at death and what are they doing in glory, if anything?
2: I don't know if you're going to be happy with my answer. And so I know that uh, Tommy is a master at editing. So one of of the most helpful answers, I think, in theology is the little three-word answer, I don't know. And the reason I want to answer it this way is I don't think that, I think this is one of the areas where scripture does not give us all the answers that we might want to have. Um, We are an insatiably curious people. And when we are not given all the data, all the data, all the details that we want, we tend to fill in the gaps and fill in the blanks uh, with our very fertile imagination um, I think this is an area where we have to be extremely um, disciplined uh, by Scripture and disciplined by those portions of Scripture that are clear. So what is clear about that intermediate state is it's glorious, it's wonderful, it's fulfilling, and um, you know, Paul, Paul says, uh, you know, in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. He knows that there is, you know, that there's an immediacy of being ushered into the presence of Christ. And there is glory to that. There is joy. Um, Jesus tells the thief on the cross, I know you've referenced this before, uh, you know, today you shall be with me in paradise. So whatever paradise, you know, whatever that intermediate state is, it's paradisical, paradisical. I don't know how you would say that. Works for me. Um, you know, so there's a glory to it. There's a wonderful to it, wonderfulness to it, but it's not the end. As you say, you know, it's a wonderful thing, but there are, there are blessings yet to be received. Um, But I think the other thing we have to say, you know, I can't say exactly what we're doing in that intermediate state. What I know we're not doing is cleaning up our record. Uh, You know, it's we're not, um, you know, it's not purgatory. It's not a place where we have a little bit extra time to do some extra good works to earn our way into heaven. Um there is nothing that I can see in scripture that that articulates that idea that we live once and we die. Um and the you know the 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 the, the direction of our souls and bodies from that are, are determined at that point of death. So it's you know, uh, which is then to remind us that death is the end. Um and so there's certainly an urgency. In our or should be an urgency, and you know I confess as a pastor, I don't always bear this urgency in my preaching, but there's an urgency to remind people that there is a determination of to you know repent, come to faith in Christ, and this is this is something that needs to happen prior to one's death, so like that's a long way of saying, I don't know, but what we do know
1: it's going to be great. Yes. And I, I think that's what a lot of people want to hear because there's all sorts of, you know, oh, the intermediate state that it's it's a purgatory of types, or there's sort of this holding tank before we get to heaven. And no, we immediately pass into glory and our souls are in the presence of Christ. But as a part of this intermediate state, which we really shouldn't understand as like a, you know, an intermediate state, like a, place as it were like you know a a sort of a lily pad before you get to heaven not that kind of a state but this period of time for a period of time our bodies are going to be in the grave they're going to see the corruption and the decay of the grave yet the catechism stresses that our bodies are still united to christ why is it important for christians to understand that even our bodies have union with christ
2: i mean you know why um I think, from one one way of thinking, just so we can be so utterly astounded, I mean, it to me is just utterly astounding to think about there is still value to that body. Um, it, It just reminds us that a biblical view of the human person is not a soul encapsulated in a disposable container. But that the, the the human reality is a wholeness, you know, body and soul, um, and that there is still that that death introduces this aberration, where the soul and the body are separated, and that's not the way things are supposed to be, and that's why we look forward. You know, that what is, is it the you know the Nicene Creed that ends by saying, and we look to the resurrection of the dead. I mean, that's where our eyes are fixed on, not just what happens at death, but to the resurrection of the dead, because body and soul is reunited. So, I mean, I think the, the, the part of the importance there is it reminds us that we are still a whole person. Um, I think it's also important, you know, one of the, our bodies rest in the grave, you know, somebody's, somebody's, some bodies are, are blown into a thousand bits. Um, God knows where those bits are. Um, you know, and I want to, you know, I, I, I say that I grew up in Loveland, Ohio, and uh, right one of the um, one of the industries. It was a very small town, and the the industry at the time was uh, Razzie's famous fireworks. And every now and then, living in my hometown, you would hear an explosion, and those with houses up on that part of town, with their their windows would shatter. And it's because there was an accident at the fireworks plant. And sometimes bodies were literally scattered all over the property. You know, it's hard for us to imagine, but, you know, if, if for a loved one to say, you know, my, that, you know, we don't, we never found all his parts, but God knows where they are. And God will raise them, him up at the last day. I think there's a, there's a, there's a value to that. And then there's just the, the reminder that, we're to treat the body with respect, you know, and I, yeah, I know Christians differ on the question of cremation. You know, one friend of mine said the difference between burial and cremation is the rate of oxidation. You can play with that a while. Um, but you know, nevertheless, there is a, a respect for the body that is still united to Christ. Um, I'm sure there's more significance to that beyond what I'm saying. And you guys can probably articulate that, um, but that's the encouragement that I draw from that.
1: Jesus, you know, Jesus says that, uh, if the father knows the hairs in our head, we can't turn one gray, then that same knowledge actually extends even to our bodies when they are committed to the ground. And I think that just shows that the care of God extends both into life and death, um, for the, for the believers. So yeah, I didn't, so those, those fireworks, um, man. Oh, well, look, there's cash value. You have confirmation. Um, <laughs> the, the, those bodies will be reconstituted one day. Um, so, Randy, question thirty eight tells us, so we we go from the prelude to you know the the consummation of all things, mm-hmm. and we see that there will be a resurrection of believers, the catechism says. Does this deny the resurrection of unbelievers? You know, should we expect those who die in their unbelief to stay dead? Or should we anticipate a resurrection of all people? And if so, what will be the difference, you know, uh, with that? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, um, there's a lot of negatives in the question. Does it deny? Um, No, it does not deny. (laughs) So, you know, um, there's a resurrection of both the believers and unbelievers. Um, I find it interesting, however, this being a podcast on the Shorter Catechism, that the Shorter Catechism does not take a lot of time to to address that subject, and it's a fascinating observation for me. Um, The Shorter Catechism does remind us that every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, uh, both in this life and in that which is to come, Um, that you know, is a is an implicit acknowledgement that in the life to come there will be judgment um and so the soul you know the, the you know believers are raised up to glory unbelievers raised up to condemnation and wrath and curse um and you know so that yes our um Within our Presbyterian circles, we hold to the shorter Catechism as well as the larger Catechism and the Confession of Faith, both of which have far more to say about that subject. And it's you know it's it's a frightening prospect, but as I think about the shorter Catechism, there is a comfort for the believer as well that um you know the, the you know the, the you know our God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His justice. And there will be those who um guilty of, of, of atrocities against us and against God's people who may in this life uh, seem to prosper. Psalm 73 is so rich with that, with the psalmist saying, how come these guys are healthy and rich and famous and prospering? Um, but you know, then he says he entered the, the sanctuary of God and was made aware of their fate and realize that this infinite, eternal, unchangeable God of justice will, the end will be just. And so those of us, and those, you know, Christians, a particular, you know, I think we in America, um, you know, we've, we've lived such privileged lives uh, where for us persecution is, you know, somebody saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. Uh, it's not having our our families, you know, heads chopped off, and you know I think it's, you know, that's got to be far more important and comforting in, to those Christians who have dealt with such intense persecution and suffering to say that there will be justice. Um, so, so no, it does not deny it.
1: Yeah. At John John five twenty eight and 29 were pretty helpful for me because a lot of our listeners might be coming out of um you know this idea of annihilationism Mm -hmm. uh where you know people are just ultimately destroyed in hell or maybe there's sort of dispensationalists where there's going to be a handful of resurrections the exact order of those escapes me right now but um you know there'll be one resurrection some who come out of their you know it says all will come out of their tombs uh, and hear his voice and all who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So we are all resurrected, but to two very different ends. And, and you touched on it. A lot of Christians are fearful of the final judgment. They're worried that God is going to read a long laundry list of all their sins and the hearing of all, and, and we're just going to be terribly embarrassed and they don't look forward to the second coming of Christ. How should Christians feel about the second coming and the final judgment?
2: Well, you know, I, I have lots of uh, of, of thoughts. Uh, you know, I thought first of all, if there was a long laundry list of my sins, it would both be embarrassing and also terribly boring because it'd be an extremely long list. Though so I might like to hear y'all's list; um, that could be interesting. But um, should we should we fear that? Oh man. Uh, we we should look forward to that as the most remarkable, surprising, um, positive, um, hopeful thing of all. And why do I say that? I say it because of its close and intimate relationship to our uh, doctrine of justification. You know, justification uh, is that act by which God declares us not guilty. You know, we, in our justification, we have complete pardon for all our sin. Um, You guys are talking about that. um, You're touching upon, but that's a legal declaration. So if I am declared righteous by God and pardoned for all my sin through the righteousness of Christ and his death and resurrection, what have I yet to fear? Um, There can't be anything yet to fear, Uh, You know, this may be getting off into my own speculation, but the, you know, the book of Revelation does talk about, you know, books being opened, and this is what, you know, people get anxious about. And so there's Randy Greenwald's name, and a judge will look at that, you know, he'll look up and say, not guilty, uh, because what's written in there is not my works, but the righteousness of Christ. Our justification is is for the righteousness of Christ alone. My record, his record, is imputed to my, me. It becomes my record. So the judge opens up the book, looks, and sees that I was perfect. If anything, at that judgment, I want to protest and say, "No, I wasn't." And we sort of get a feel for that in Matthew twenty-five, versus, where, you know, when did we, you know, visit the visit him in prison? When did we feed the hungry? You know. Um, it's a surprise. It's it's just a shock. Not guilty. That's what we that's what we hear at the last judgment, and uh, yeah. So to me, should it should it be some? You know, you um, you know, I, I know that early in an earlier podcast, you spoke about the order of salvation, and you made reference to Romans eight and. You know the, the 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 clear tie there that those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he glorified. Um, what we are, what we're talking about here is glorification, right? The entering into the glory of God and entering into His presence. Those whom he justified he glorified, um, and so you know if if we're in Christ, there is nothing left to fear. To me, that's the that's the glory of the gospel. And I also, you know, you, you, that passage in Romans then leads into, sorry, you can cut me off here at any moment, but um, because this is, this is what gets my heart moving. So
1: keep going.
2: But, you know, when, you know, those whom he justified, he also glorified. And then Paul just himself is overwhelmed. He says, and I'm going to read it here so I don't get it wrong. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, you know, to me, that is just the—that's why I resonate with all of these things. I can think of a lot of—I am against myself. I can think of all kinds of things for which, if I were the one to render judgment, I'd say, yes, but you don't know about that time I did this or that or thought this or dreamed that or spoke that. Um, He who did not—Paul goes on—he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for a—how will he not also— with him graciously give us all things. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's, yeah, to me, it's a remarkable vision that scripture gives us of that, which is future, but rooted and secured in Jesus in the past. And uh, so, wow, man, what do we have to do to earn all of that? Nothing, just surrender to Jesus. And, um, so yeah, I, yeah. You know, do we, so I, I get into these questions. I am a verbal processor and then I forget the question. Yeah, you so, answered it
1: and I answered gloriously it. so. Yeah.
2: Okay. Okay. In
1: in the final judgment. I mean, I love the text you brought in there. If God is for us and he's for us in that final judgment and that's, that's good news. That's no cause yeah. to fear, but that to rejoice.
2: Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, as I was thinking about these things um, in advance of this, I was made, I thought of uh, the hymn uh, Zinzendorf, uh, the Moravian, translated by John Wesley. You know, bold shall I stand in that great day. For who ought to my charge shall lay fully absolved through these? I am that is Jesus' blood and righteousness from sin and fear, from guilt and shame. Um, I mean, I could go on. It's this whole hymn is uh, you know, oh let the dead now hear thy voice, now bid thy banished ones rejoice. Their beauty, this, their glorious dress, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. The point there is that it's it's his blood and his righteousness that we bear, that we wear. Um, And, you know, that's, you know, that's settled. And that's what we need to hear. That's what our hearts need to hear all the time. Because, again, we keep trying to move God out of that judgment seat and put ourselves in that seat. And we judge ourselves and we judge others. Um, no, it is it is God who opens those books, and He looks and He sees the righteousness of His Son. Um, and in those we are are dressed, and in those we live. So no, we we ought not to fear it. I spoke with a woman here about a month ago. Maybe it's been two now, but she had just gotten a diagnosis of liver cancer, and uh, um, you know, she told me, "I'm not afraid of death." She said, "The process of dying, yes." You know, pain and suffering and struggle. But it was these things that removed the sting of death, as it were, as Paul calls it. And you know, you know, for us who yet live, the sting of death yet, you know, is well, no, the pain of but the sting, the ultimate sting of of of, of judgment and separation is taken away. Once we get through the physical process, there is glory. So anyway, shutting up. You know, as pastors, particularly as a young
0: pastor, uh, you know, I I heard someone say that one of the most important things about being a pastor is helping prepare people to die, uh, either helping somebody like this lady or, you know, preparing for a loved one to pass away. So, how do these truths uh, in these catechisms, and you're kind of already really addressed it, but how do these truths in the catechism help us to prepare? To die,
2: um. you know, and I think it's in an answer to that question. I I think, um, I mean, there's really two questions. One is, you know, what's what's our role as as pastors and shepherds to help people prepare for that? And I think that's a different question than what's here for us to help us, you know, and help us generally as Christians um, uh, prepare to die. Um, You know, I think you know. Again, it's one of the reasons why I am drawn to this question. Excuse me, is that it's logical consistency with everything that has come before it? I can articulate if I just landed in question thirty-eight and said, "Heaven's a cool thing, and it's really glorious," without the prelude of all that has come before it—that this God whom we will see is a God infinite, eternal, unchangeable in. In all of these attributes, his goodness, his love, his mercy, all of those, there is a beauty to who he is. If we have not also had this prelude of acknowledging that the only redeemer of of God's elect is this Lord Jesus Christ, who was both humble, who was humiliated and exalted as king, but humiliated to be one like his brothers so that he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. We've got all this wonderful landscape leading up to it. So... um, you know, it is. Can, can, this sounds. I don't know. Um, I, I, I want to find a different way of putting this, but this is the only way that comes to my mind right now. Is to say that the study of theology prepares us for our death because we come to know the God who has made us for Himself, as Augustine said. And you know, our souls are are, are not at rest until we find our our fullness in Him. So all of theology is designed to prepare us. For that, you know, I think the the role of the pastor is is is, you know, I think broader. I, I wouldn't frame it in such a way as to show people how to, um, you know, prepare for their death. I think I would frame it, you know, how to live in the shadow of death. I think is, uh, you know, that's uh, that's what we're doing. Um, my my hero in, um, in in some respects is in the in part 2 of pilgrim's progress mr greatheart um he he's a guide who leads uh leads pilgrims from the city of destruction to the celestial city uh from where we are to heaven but he he attends with them all along the way and you know and and, and so in that process you know the pastor's role is to show them how to live in anticipation of that day. And I think, you know, one of the things that I often forget is that part of that job is to help people see their destination, help them really see that this is, you know, this, this, this glory is where they're, where they're, um, it's something worth aiming for and something worth waiting for.
0: Yeah. No, thank you. And then just to kind of, you know, ask the, the famous resource question here at the end, uh, this we're recording it on election day, but this will come out early December. So as we, you know, Christmas is approaching, you know, so what resources often when Christmas is around, everybody only thinks of the first coming of Christ. <laughs> uh, so how can you, you know, what resources come to mind uh to turn our attention forward as we've been talking about this whole episode uh, about Mm -hmm. the second coming and, and to really ignite our imaginations uh, about Jesus uh, and what he'll do, uh, the beautiful coming of the ultimate wedding day where you will wear your sandals.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's, this is an intriguing, um, question for me. Understand I'm, I'm not a scholar. I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. So You know, I don't have um, my shelves lined with all the latest resources um, that might have come down the pike on this. But you're cooler than a scholar. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we'll let that hang out there. But, uh, you know, one of the books that I read a long time ago, I guess it's about 25 years old now, that has been helpful uh, to me just as a general resource was uh, Anthony Hookema's The Bible in the Future. And, uh, You know, maybe there has been maybe there have been works to supplant that. I don't know Um, in recent years, but it's been um, you know just in terms of taking every aspect. You know, when you see a book called Bible in the Future, you're thinking, "Oh, good, I'm going to get into you know what's going to happen in Revelation." Well, he does it. He addresses those kind of concerns, but he also helps us remember thinking about the future is so much more. To do than than that, you know, there is the the things we've been talking about the day today that that are encompassed there and worth thinking about. So he does address those things to some degree. Um, you know, can I give an anti um, <laughs> resource in a sense? You know, to encourage people to avoid like the plague anything that says I went to heaven and I came back and here's what I saw. You know, I there's just so much um, the the, the human imagination, as I mentioned before, is so fruitful that it will take the tiniest seed of information and and um and and expand upon it and um, and, and create grand vistas that may or may not be true to scripture you know try you know I, I just want to encourage us not to try to fill in the gaps with anything that is um speculative um uh, the um you know for a, for something that I I love to read occasionally and just to be remembered, reminded of what delight um, and glory is. Uh, C.S. Lewis "The Weight of Glory." Um, very readable. He it was a it was a, a sermon basically that he gave, and uh, um, it's, there's some profundity there. And uh, there's been um, recently um, lots of debate, kind of back and forth in terms of to what. Do, to what degree is the essence of eternity physical new heavens and new earth and to what degree is the essence of eternity spiritual that is the beatific vision the vision of god and his glory and so there's a there's a, there are a number of works out there that are kind of wrestling with that issue but I found Michael allen's grounded in heaven to be um a wonderful reminder that the ultimate goal is Jesus. the ultimate goal is glory is is God, and um, to make sure that we do not lose sight of of him in the um, in the in the process and then I think I may have said at the last episode that I have trouble with the Puritans. I have trouble reading the Puritans, and so I don't often recommend puritans but As I started thinking about this question, I just kept thinking of Puritan after Puritan because they're, you know, for a couple of reasons. One, they're they're you know they're very um, uh, they're not simply uh, you know brains encompassed in human suits. They have hearts. There's there's a love for Jesus. There's a a devotion there that comes through. And and uh, so you know if if you all haven't you know if your readers listeners sorry haven't read uh, Pilgrim's Progress you know, take some time. Just you know, carve out an hour every Sunday afternoon and and read and and uh, just kind of listen to, to Bunyan and and uh, you know one of the beauties for me of Pilgrim's Progress as they get closer to the Celestial City or to heaven is to realize that everyone's experience of death is different, um, and so you know you've got. Christian, you've got Mister uh, What Valiant for Truth and his sword, but you've also got Little Faith, and and you've got these characters that are just struggling, and, and some of them glide right across the river of death, others get out in the middle and they feel like they're drowning, but all make it. And um, so there's just beautiful imagery there that I think is extremely helpful. You know, uh, John Owen, um, uh, you know, is uh, is a Puritan. Um, who's very, you know, all of these guys wrote without editors. Um, so they go on and on and on and on and on. So it is like often mining for gold, but I don't know. I've never mined for real gold, but I figure if I were mining for gold, when I found the gold, I'd be kind of happy. And it would say the mining was worth it. And I would say with somebody like Owen, um, what a couple of titles here on communion with God, the glory of Christ, uh, on the grace and duty of being spiritually. Um, Some of these are not to heaven, but these guys never had heaven far from their mind. Um, And I think partly, you know, is it because in the 17th century there was a lot more death. I mean, it was, it was in your home. Um, You know, Samuel Rutherford is if his letters, here is somebody who was so in tuned with the spiritual reality of, of Christ. Um, And so Rutherford's letters, uh, I do think, you know, they're hard to read sometimes, but they shape our hearts in the dire- in a Godward direction like little else does. But here's a man who, how many children you know, did he lose? How many in death? Um, and, uh, um, you know, tremendous uh, physical suffering and just, um, but I, I want to read just uh, a, a quote from one of his letters, if I may, because as I was thinking about, I always think about this quote and, um, some of you and some of your listeners will know this was turned into a hymn. Um, the uh, the Sands of Time are Sinking that uh, we sometimes sing is all language lifted from Samuel Rutherford's letters um, and turned into a, a poem. But in his actual letter, he said this, If it were no more than once to see the face of the prince of this good land that is Jesus and to be feasted for eternity with the fatness, sweetness, dainties of the rays and beams of matchless glory and incomparable fountain love. It were a well-spent journey to creep hands and feet through seven deaths and seven hells to enjoy him up at the wellhead. Um, And I can, you know, so I can't think of anything, any better place to end than with that.
1: Mm, Well, thank you so much. Um, This has been, as always, uh, a really fun interview with you. Um, We're thankful for your ministry down there in Oviedo and thankful for you coming back on the podcast. Thanks for your time.
2: Well, I appreciate being asked. It's an honor, really.
1: And it is always an honor to have our listeners tuning in with us. We are wrapping up. This is... Tommy, do we have like a fireworks display or do we have... um, some sound effects to commemorate our final episode of season one.
0: We'll let everybody do that in their homes.
1: I'm going to just say, don't light fireworks in your home. That's true. Right. So with that, um, thanks so much. We will be back uh, on the podcast. We're going to take a brief hiatus. We're going to be recording some episodes and uh, getting more cool cats here on the podcast. So thanks so much again for uh, marching through the catechism with us. Questions one through 38. We look forward to seeing you at 39. Till then, keep it short.
3: What benefit?